the cookies have been eaten. In my house, all of them are gone. Games have been played, hugs have been shared, laughter filled our homes. Gifts have given, been given and been received. And I have to confess, this morning I have a very deep curiosity to know what you got for Christmas. So I'm going to ask some questions, and if you have received this gift, would you be so kind as to raise your hand, indicating yes. All right, first on the list, did anyone receive frankincense? Nobody. How about myrrh? The sap from the myrrh tree? A myrrh tree? Nobody. Um, okay, next one. Better luck with this one. How about gold? Nobody's going to confess to that, are they? No. All right. Well, there is one that I am sure that some of us got, so let's see if we get any hands for socks. Yeah, yeah, there we go. The socks have arrived. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas indeed. We have celebrated and we celebrate with the exchanging of gifts, with the joy, with the carols, with the prayers, because we're celebrating the arrival of the Christ. And we have celebrated indeed. And now we are gathered here in this place, in this space, waiting. expectantly, patiently, joyfully, hopefully waiting, waiting for a miracle, waiting with praise and thanksgiving burning in our hearts, waiting once more together to encounter Christ. And as we wait, I want to draw your attention to the back of the bulletin. If you have a bulletin or if you have it on your phone, you will be able to see these pictures. On the back, there are four pictures of actual locations around the globe, and we are going to figure out what those locations are, but you're going to have to wait. As we conclude our Character and Characters series, Today, we encounter two people who were indeed doing as what we are doing. They were waiting. These were two people who waited in expectation for the fulfillment of God's promises. They waited near, in, and around the temple of God. They waited as the years of their life rolled by. They waited in a crowd, and they waited alone, Simeon and Anna. We can find both of the stories for Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. And if you have your scriptures, I'd love to invite you to open them. If you have a Bible app on your smartphone, I'd like to invite you to use that as well. And join me as we look in Luke chapter 2 for the stories of Simeon and Anna. The story of Simeon begins in verse 25 in Luke chapter 2. It will not appear on the screen, so if you'd like to follow along, you are invited to do so. And behold, 
There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon was a rare man, a just man, a man devoted to a singular cause, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was blessed by the Holy Spirit's presence, guided to the temple when he needed to be there, and he had received an amazing promise from God that he would live to see the Messiah. He holds the baby Jesus in his arms and offers euphoric praise to God for what he is encountering. Join me as we read verse 29, 30, 31, and 32. This is what Simeon says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon knows that this is no average child. This is, in fact, the Christ child that has arrived. And the impact of the Christ child on the world will be great. This is a Christ child that has come for everyone, that offers salvation. And Simeon, the old, devout man, is standing in the temple holding God. Verse 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of Jesus. And Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon takes a lifetime of devotion, blesses God, shares that God is going to use this child to bring salvation, and blesses the mother of this tiny babe. He is a rare man indeed. And he is followed in Scripture by the story of a rare woman, Anna. And in verse 36, we encounter her. Now, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers day and night. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna, a prophetess in the temple, serving day and night, she was a great age, 
I know a lot of women, women who are 29 and have been for years. But we discover that Anna is aged. She's 84, although some people would say maybe she's actually 105 if she'd gotten married and been married for seven years and then her husband died and was a widow for 84. She could be as old as 105. And as a story of great miracles, why not? She was a great age, a widow who lived in the temple serving the Lord. She gives thanks to God when she encounters the Christ child, and then she begins to share with everyone she's met that hope has come. Simeon speaks of Christ's world impact, of the global picture of what this little baby will do, the offer of salvation to anyone who will accept it. Anna's narrated response tells us that she is glad that hope has come to Israel, that the world in which she dwells is her life, and the people in desperate need of a Savior have found Him. He has arrived. Both of them have been waiting for this day, waiting for the promise waiting for the best. They, Simeon and Anna, have discovered the secret to waiting well. They are waiting for the best. As a child, I lived in Europe for many years with my family, and every Christmas, every December, we would begin our Advent calendar. Yes? It's delightful. We'd have little boxes that you would open up, and we got every third day, because there were three children, one advent calendar. So we would get every third day, you'd open it up, and inside the little box would be a chocolate. Oh, and they were delicious chocolates. They were amazing, delectable. Everybody wanted the chocolate. We all kind of prayed that the flu would go around so then you could have the extra chocolates when someone couldn't. It was nice. So we would get the chocolate, and they were fantastic chocolates. They were great. We would wait for the Advent calendar every year because they were the best chocolates. When we moved back to the States, my mother discovered the wonders of Walmart. And you know they sell Advent calendars at Walmart. They come in a little thin box, and you pull open the perforated tabs on the doors, and you pull out a chunk of chocolate, and you're supposed to eat it. The joy of God's promises is that they are quality promises. They are like the good Advent chocolate. They're the one you want. They are not the one you give to your brother or sister. Right? You cling to God's promises because they're brilliant and delicious and delightful, and you crave them. Anna and Simeon knew that God's promises were quality promises. They weren't inferior. They couldn't be manufactured by anyone else. They were the best. They were superior. And they were fit for a purpose. They blessed the lives into which they were spoken. Sometimes we think that quality is a subjective thing, that things can mean different things to other people, and that's true. But there's quality to God's promises that cannot be ascribed to anything else. 
anything else at all. In Scripture, we find a number of different ways that describe the quality of God's promises. First, we see in 1 Kings that God's promises are good promises. His promises are not fake. They are not false. They're not shady. They're not half-truth. His promises are good promises. The promise that He makes to Simeon that He will live to see the Messiah is a good promise. God's promises are loving. You know, the most loving promises we receive are the ones that have our best interests in heart and lead us to better places. And God's promises do that in our lives. God's promises are true in every sense of the word, and God's promises are great and precious. They are enough to sustain us in the waiting. They are excellent promises. The promises that were given to Simeon and Anna were brilliant promises that the hope that all of Israel, that all the world had been waiting for, would be seen and experienced by them were good promises, precious promises. There is something else about God's promises that is true today as it was for Simeon and Anna. God's promises are enduring. They do not end when the night is over. They do not end when our tempers have flared. They do not end when we don't see the end from the beginning. They do not end even in their fulfillment. They continue. Christ that was born, that was seen by Simeon and Anna, is still the Christ we worship and honor and praise today. God's promises are enduring. In fact, multiple times in Scripture, we hear the words everlasting promise, eternal promise. This covenant that God has made with us, a promise, I'll do this, you do that, it's a promise. He uses that phrase 17 times in Scripture. In Genesis 9, 16 is the first time we encounter the reality that God's promises are not temporary. This is when the flood has covered the earth and God makes a promise. He says, the rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting promise between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Every time we see a rainbow, we remember God's promises are good and true and great and precious and loving, and they last forever. I will establish my covenant in Genesis 17, 7, as an everlasting promise between me and you and your descendants after you. God makes a promise to Abraham. Jeremiah 32, 40, I will make an everlasting promise with them. I will not turn away from them. I will do good for them. I will put my fear in their hearts, and they will never depart from me. An everlasting promise. In Hebrews 13, 20, now may the God of peace who brought Jesus up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, May His eternal promise in His blood give you all that you will need. A promise, eternal promises. 
We often buy things that have warranties because they're not going to last very long, but the company gives us a promise that they will take care of their product for a certain amount of time, right? We buy these at Sam's Club or Costco or wherever we buy our appliances. And I want you now, if you have your bulletin available, the pictures will also come up on the screen. We're going to look at these pictures, and we're going to see if we can determine as a congregation where these places are. All right, first picture. Have we got any guesses as to where this is? It's not Paris, FYI. Tokyo. Tokyo, Japan is correct. Absolutely. All right, next picture. Anyone know where this is? No? No guesses? I'm sorry? Green Bay. No, but that's an excellent guess. I respect that. I respect that. This is actually Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. All right, third picture. Any guesses? This is a word that I had to learn how to say, a place I had to learn. I never encountered it before. Agbagbloshi, Ghana, West Africa. This is Agbagbloshi. All right, fourth picture. Anybody? Not Miami. It's Bangalore, India. These four pictures all have something in common. They are renowned for technology, either the manufacturer conceptualization, design, or the destruction of said technology. One half of all of the electronics that are made in the United States or that we purchase in the United States of America, when they are discarded, one half of them are shipped overseas for destruction. The third picture is not like all of the four, is it? It's a pile of broken down computer monitors and boxes and different CPUs and that sort of thing, wires. In Agbag, Bloshi, Ghana, West Africa, your cell phones, iPads, computer monitors, keyboards, mouses, all of these different parts of the technology world in which we, inha- which we inhabit now, a lot of them will wind up there if they are not sent to a proper recycling facility. And in Agbag Bloshi, they will take those parts and pieces and strip them for what is useful, and then they will burn the plastic, they will burn the lead, they will burn whatever it is in order to regain the metals that are inside of the wiring and inside of the screens. This isn't um, safe work, it's not healthy work. Small children do this, and they die at a very young age because of the toxicity of what they're dealing with. Why do we have a problem like this? Why is technology being so destructive to people's lives? Because so many of us want the newest, latest, greatest iPhone, and we don't think twice about what we do with our old iPhone. In, in our world, in the Western world, in the technologically advanced pieces of the world, we have a lot of planned obsolescence. It's a very fancy term for saying we plan for things to break, and we plan for them to break a lot. So we plan for things to go obsolete. 
We won't give you new software for it. We won't give you new parts or pieces for it. Car manufacturers are required to make parts and pieces for 10 years after they discontinue a vehicle. The same is not true for all of our gizmos and gadgets that we carry. But we want the newest and the latest and the greatest. And sometimes we don't think about the consequence. There are amazing recycling programs, by the way, that you can give your old electronics to, refrigerators, microwaves, computers, iPads, anything that will then either refit them and make sure somebody can use them, or they will make sure they're recycled properly. Please take advantage of those programs. But remember that when you're looking for something in your own life, look for quality. Look for things that will endure. When we look in the world around us, we very rarely see things that do endure. We very rarely see things that are quality. We live in a time that is not good at waiting. Having moved to Walla Walla so recently, I was flabbergasted the other day when I was sitting on Main Street behind eight cars at a stoplight. And I started tapping on the steering wheel. And I leaned my head over and I huffed, <gasps> waiting. I lived in Chicago. What am I impatient about? Eight cars? You all make it through on one stoplight in this town. Not so in Chicago. We're not good at waiting. We don't often practice waiting. I used to work in the physical therapy world, and one time a young boy came in with his mother and was sitting in the waiting room, aptly named, waiting for her to finish with her appointment, and he was playing on some gizmo or gadget and was talking and then got restless because the gizmo was no longer entertaining enough. So he set it down on the chair next to him and came to talk to me. I am pretty entertaining. So we talked for quite a while, and he said, oh, I wish she would hurry up. I don't like waiting. And I was like, well, what have you got to get to? He's like, I don't know, but when I get there, I'm going to be old. <laughs> he was seven. We're not good at waiting because we don't practice waiting. Simeon and Anna knew the secret that they were waiting for the best. They were waiting for the most brilliant thing that God had ever planned. They were not in a rush. They were waiting. And it's okay to wait for the best things in our lives. It's okay to not buy into the disposable culture whether it's a cell phone or a person, it's okay to not buy into that. It's okay to wait for the best. And we as Adventist Christians, we've been waiting, haven't we? Waiting for an event that we have been promised along with the whole world. We are waiting for the return of the Messiah. We are waiting for the end of suffering. We are waiting for justice to reign and peace to rule in our world. We are waiting for the death of death. 
We are waiting to dwell in God's presence. We are waiting to hold on to Jesus. Today, the same promises that helped carry Anna and Simeon through their lives are available for us. They are good, loving, true, great, and precious promises. Promises like this that Jesus gives us. I will be with you. I will never leave you. My peace I will give to you. I will supply all that you need. And one of my favorites, behold, I come quickly. The nature of God's promises are still the same today. They are still quality promises, and they are still enduring. In Lewis and Carol's Alice in Wonderland, Alice asks the white rabbit a question. She says, how long is forever? To which the white rabbit responds, sometimes just one second. When we are waiting for the best, the wait does not seem interminable. When we are waiting for the best, it is worth the wait. And so we wait, knowing that God's promises to make this world new, to restore us to Himself, to wipe every tear, we wait for that fulfillment. We wait as Simeon and Anna did. We wait because we know the secret to waiting. We are waiting for the best. Simeon and Anna didn't wait like I do, with my toes tapping, huffing at the stoplights, griping about the delay, perhaps bickering at the person in my car, and fighting over nothing. They waited with lives that were dedicated to God. Because when we wait with purpose, it is fulfilling. They lived lives full of prayer, full of service, justice. They lived lives of worship. They lived lives that were focused on the very best. Waiting never seems too long when you wait with purpose. The wait is always worth it. And so we as Christians, we as Adventist Christians, we wait differently than the rest of the world. We can wait in DMV lines. We can wait at checkout lines. We can wait in waiting rooms. We can wait in church because we are waiting for the very best. We're not waiting for something that is temporary or breakable, something that is planned to be obsolete in a couple of years. We are waiting for the king of this universe to return and take us home. And so we wait with lives that are dedicated and lives that are focused. Let us live those lives dedicated to prayer, to justice, to service, to worship. 
And at the end of our waiting, oh, at the end of our waiting, we will hold the Messiah in our arms.